0: Hello and welcome to the BodyTrack Academy, created by EPs for EPs.
1: We'll cover all things clinical, business, and
0: personal growth to help you and the exercise physiology industry reach its potential.
1: If you enjoyed this episode and find something useful, you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, and tell your friends to check it out. If you haven't already joined the BodyTrack Academy on Facebook, Look us up, join our community of exercise physiologists, and access more great content.
0: Howdy, associates. We hope that you are enjoying the BodyTrack Academy podcast thus far. Today, we have Caitlin in, and she is going to be talking to us about cardio-oncology. So, Caitlin, welcome to the podcast room.
1: Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me again.
0: No problem. Excited to hear your uh, perspective on all of this. What Start off the bat, what is for the best understanding of cardio-oncology.
1: Yeah, so cardio-oncology is a bit of a kind of newer term um, being thrown around. Uh, It's been around for a a little while, but it's something that we're really starting to see um, emerging and it's something that as exercise physiologists, we um, are starting to need to take a bit more more notice of because it's something that we have quite an important role in and um, we'll start to learn a bit more about why that is. Um, but a big kind of component is now that we are fortunately seeing um, longer rates of cancer-free survival or five-year survival, um, we're starting to see people living longer into that survivorship phase. That flows on really nicely from what Nicole was talking about in our survivorship podcast, um, if you guys have had a chance to check that one out.
0: Yeah, so that was a recent one that we recorded, um, Nicole and myself, about uh, survival. So yeah, jump back into the podcast and check that one out. But Caitlin, you were saying uh, the changes within that survival, that five-year survival rate, we're seeing some uh, some different effects of the comorbidities come through.
1: Yeah. So because we're seeing a reduction in cancer-specific mortality, um, we're actually seeing an increase in a competing cause of mortality and that's cardiovascular disease. Yeah, so right, right. it's starting to get to the point where we're seeing such a reduction in people dying from cancer because the treatments are becoming so effective um, that the risk of cardiovascular disease is actually... Dying from cardiovascular disease, sorry, is actually almost surpassing that risk. Wow. Okay. So
0: in that essence, uh, we've we've kind of progressed so well on cancer treatment and that including exercise as well as we Mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Um, So does our shift sort of happen then into cardiovascular disease um management i guess yeah, in a way yeah. for this case
1: yeah definitely and i think like oncology patients are a different kind of specific um group that we mm. have to have a little bit more awareness of of this about because um we know that after the five-year survival rate for a lot of the common cancers that they're up to four time, fourfold increased risk of actually dying due to cardiovascular disease compared to people without a cancer history. Wow. Um, And significant risk factor. Yeah. And they're up to 18 and a half fold increased risk of developing um, a cardiovascular based risk factor. Wow. So So this is the
0: stuff like you don't (laughs) cancer is so broad that you focus on so many different elements of how to treat cancer but all these other comorbidities and uh, cardiovascular risk profile is like that's 18 and a half that's a lot
1: that's it and like (laughs) it's really interesting because like a lot of these things manifest a little bit more silently so like we like patients are living day-to-day with peripheral neuropathy like Mm, they're living mm. day-to-day with um the ongoing effects of post-cancer fatigue they're living with lymphedema for example so this is something that kind of manifests a little bit slower over time. And it's not really until it's too late that we can kind of see it really manifest in a way way. that's, yeah, yeah, quite, quite difficult to manage. Wow.
0: Okay. Um, so in that case, is there urgency in terms of um, their checkups? Because I often get this feeling, correct me if I'm wrong here, but Mm -hmm. when someone gets into that kind of five-year survival, obviously there's less contact time with health professionals for for checkups, right? Yeah. Is our role in that, knowing these risk factors, uh, is it like a a routine three, six, 12-month kind of checkup with cardiologists? What what do you recommend in that?
1: And that's kind of more, it's more so the way that cardio-oncology is... Becoming emerging and being more aware of this as something that we need to be managing from the start. So, yeah. looking at mm. what are the pre-existing risk factors that a that a patient might have even before they start treatment. Right. So, looking at the whole picture and there's a few really fantastic models that have been developed in the US that help us really kind of understand well why why is this happening? Why are cardi- why are oncology patients more likely mm. to um, have, have these concerns related to cardiovascular disease than someone without a cancer history. So, um, yeah, there's a couple of really, really great models and, um, to help us understand. And one of those is called the multiple hit hypothesis. Okay. Um, so that talks about the three different components that are likely contributing to that risk being enhanced. And those three components are pre-existing risk factors, Mm -hmm. um, direct injury. So that is the impact of the treatment itself on in uh, manifesting cardiovascular disease risk factors, cardiometabolic cardio, cardio risk factors, yep. but also um, the cardiotoxic effects of, of treatment as well. Yeah. And then we've got the third component, which is indirect injury. And that's the, the long-term or latent effects of, of treatment on like deconditioning and and weight gain, which we know are risk factors for cardiovascular disease wow. as well. So yeah. the,
0: these, this um, particular model is something we can put in the show notes as well and direct you to it. Um so in terms of how, like, how we use that model, is, is it a point system? Is it asking questions yeah, around it or it's how does it sort of work?
1: more to recognize and start to stratif- stratify risk around okay. the uh, different elements so that we can start to kind of uh, direct... Treatment, yep. direct treatment, um, direct preventative measures, preventative medicine, preventative pharmacology, all of those things.
0: Getting ahead of the game, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It? Yeah, yeah before it's, it's too late, like that's you said. really
1: where cardio-oncology is, is, is heading is mm. to be mm. that more preventative approach because it is, it's so unfortunate that now so many people are going through cancer treatment and they're coming to the other side and then that's been like kind of their big journey, their big hurdle that they've crossed. Yeah, and then yep, all of a sudden, yep. 10 years down the track... They're dying instead from cardiovascular disease. Like, Mm. it's just not really good enough. No, it's not. (laughs) And especially when we know, as exercise physiologists, that there is so many um, different ways that exercise can help reduce the modifiable risk factors. So, um, I might talk a little bit more about another model that talks a little bit about the different. um, You've mentioned a
0: couple of models, didn't you? So yeah, 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 please. Yeah, I might talk a little bit
1: more about the the model that talks about the different modifiable factors. So the things that we can have a protective, um, approach to, um, as well as the, uh, non-modifiable and there, some of the, the impacts of, of yeah. the treatment. Go ahead.
0: Um, yeah. because it would be interesting to like gather as much information for, um, through the associates, I guess to, yeah, yeah. find and, out what, and, what is uh, a good source to go to for this. Cause, um, this is new news to me. Like yeah. I knew there was obviously a huge risk, um, of increased comorbidities, um, Cardiovascular, I didn't know it was to this extent. Yeah. So, yeah. What's the other model that's yeah, out there as Yeah.
1: Well? And I think that it it is also really helpful just to inform like your history taking when you're assessing a patient you, as well. Yeah, super essential. Hey? Yeah, because yep. this, this is something that doesn't just kind of like it is, uh, the risk is high within the 12 months post-cancer mm. treatment, mm. um, but it continues to remain high 10 to 20 years post. So, yeah. if you're seeing a cancer yeah. patient who's had cancer 10, 20 years ago. Well, you're not seeing cancer patient. You're just seeing a normal yeah, patient. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And in their history, it in, it's indicated that they've had like breast or prostate or colorectal cancer or something 20 years ago. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's long enough ago that we don't have to worry you about know, it it's anymore. It's so funny. It's interesting yeah. you bring that up
0: because that is exactly what I I would feel that even I've done with some of my, my clients that yeah, I see. There's definitely. A, I I've one guy picture one guy now. He had cancer before I actually started seeing him. Um, so I've taken it down as history. But never knew that this is such like yeah. the the longer term effect. Um, and you know he's functioning fine now. He, he is very good. But this is really good information that's and it. so vital for all the new EPS and other EPS out there to to yeah. get. So sorry, I keep coming over a little okay, bit. That's okay. That's alright. We're going to keep bouncing around, but we're going to we keep we're going to get there. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get there. Um, but yeah, like uh, like as you said, like and that uh, the the longer that it gets after treatment. It can also see an increase in in risk as well. So it doesn't become less important. If anything, it becomes no, almost more more, yeah, more important. Mm. Yeah. So this uh, risk and protect compounding risk and protective um, uh, model was something developed in the US by um, Amy Kirken Amy Kirkham and her colleagues. Um, and it's a really really great way to kind of conceptualize what are the different elements that are contributing to. To the manifestation of, mm. of cardiovascular disease and mortality, yep. um, and so it breaks it down into the different stages of the continuum, which is really helpful as we've seen with ha- with Nicole's um, podcast yeah. before. Yeah, it fits nicely. Yeah, because it can yep. help you because if, if you even if you've got a cancer patient right now, you can put all this stuff into practice. Straight away. Yep. So, looking at um, the uh, pre-diagnosis, so this is before they've even identified to have ha- to have a cancer diagnosis. Right. The things that will increase their risk are age is the number one risk factor for okay. developing cardiovascular disease or cardiac toxicity, which I'll talk a little bit more yep. about. So, is
0: there a certain cutoff or range or?
1: Um, not off the top of my head, yep. but. Older age yeah, will exacerbate a, risk significantly. Yeah. So, and that's not com- completely exclusive because um, this, and so sorry, I should preface as well. This model is actually um, developed uh, based on breast cancer research. Okay, yeah. But mm. you'll be able to see how it can be applied to mm. other forms of, of cancer as well. Yep. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about how. Uh, the risk may be a little bit higher in women who are who are younger, mm-hmm. um, particularly with breast cancer because of the impacts on on menopause. Yep. But older age is across the board the number one risk factor. Wow. Yep. Okay. And then so in addition to older age in that pre-diagnosis uh, phase, another um, major risk factor is uh, common risk. Uh, common modifiable risk factors between cardiovascular disease and breast cancer. So we know that there are a number of uh, lifestyle and modifiable factors that are common between those people that have cardiovascular disease and breast cancer. So these are things like physical inactivity, diabetes, yeah, (laughs) hypertension. Um, So if we think about it, like these are really... Things that we can address quite yeah. early, quite early on in any in any patient as a preventative course, measure. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent and okay. maybe drawing a big bow here. But <laughs> if they have those risk factors, if you have a client who's got hypertension, diabetes, yeah. um, they are older, all these ones are standing out. Is there? In, is, does it work reverse? Is there an increased risk of? Uh, according to this model, is there an mm. increased risk of developing a sort uh, a form of cancer? Is yeah. That, do they show that as well? Because we know that they are yeah. already, but does this model prove yeah, that as well? Yeah, and
1: it, that's what they draw a really interesting conclusion about is yeah. that there is these combined kind of pathways that compound and uh, increase that risk right. further. And mm. so the next point... <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. If you could stop jumping ahead, Dan. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Um, So, the next point is in your uh, pre-diagnosis stage is that there are common biological pathways Ah. between (laughs) cancer, the development of cancer and the development of cardiovascular disease. And so, that's things like Mm. growth factors and Mm -hmm. inflammation. So, there's a crossover between the two and which can um, help us understand why um, this this population is more susceptible. Wow. Yeah.
0: Right. So, they're the two main models? that these yeah
1: so this is part one of the one of this model sorry (laughs) dad good (laughs) so now we move into the risks associated with the active treatment phase so um the and i'm going to talk a little bit more about cardiotoxicity which falls under the cardiovascular disease uh kind of web um so cardiac toxicity is part of that kind of direct injury component that I talked about before as well, where we see uh, the impact of treatment on the heart structure and function Mm. in a way that affects the left ventricular ejection fraction and can result or predispose heart failure.
0: Got it. Yeah.
1: So there's a few main forms of treatment that are likely to uh, increase the risk of uh, cardiac toxicity. Um, one of those is chemotherapy, specifically Mm -hmm. anthracycline based chemotherapy. So that's why it's really important when you're taking your history to, or when you're seeing a patient to identify what kind of chemotherapy they're having, because they have unique risk factors and side effects associated with them. So, and anthracyclines are a really, really important one to Mm. identify, flag, and then Make sure that you're applying the right kind of intervention. And I think yeah. you'll
0: know from uh, other podcasts that we've done it. This we do go on about initial intake and assessments and the subjective questions that you'll ask. This is a key thing that Caitlin's trying to address here. If you're not asking those questions, then it's pretty much guaranteed mm-hmm. you you may never know, and and then you're really falling behind. And this is all about being proactive, and ensuring that we're giving the best possible care. So. Uh, very good tip there, anticyclines.
1: Yeah. Yep. The next one is radiation, particularly uh, to the chest wall um, uh, close to the heart. And that's really common in, in breast cancer patients, especially if they have a left sided um, cancer. So yep. um, that is another one that really increases the risk of cardiac toxicity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third thing is the use of trastuzumab. So that is. Now that is a mouthful. Let's oh say God, that one more I time. I was going to miss that. Trust. Do the matter Okay. Please that, uh, explain. Please, please write into me if I butchered that. Um, no. <laughs> um, and so that's something that really commonly we see is uh, prolonged, uh, for prolonged use for breast cancer patients as well. It's quite common. So, and a combination, and quite often we'll also see a combination of all three of these treatments, or one or two of these treatments. So, yeah. a, so even like a low dose of anthracyclines and a low mm. dose of radiation significantly increases that risk. So just starting to build an understanding of that risk profile is, yeah. is so important. And oncologists are very aware of this. Like this is not something that we know and they don't. Like mm. they will make really, really intense risk evaluation yeah, before yep. uh, providing a treatment based mm. on how effective they think it's going to be in managing the individual's cancer. So they do yeah. not give out anthracyclines or high dose radiation lightly. Yeah. Like this is something that like is is very, very risky. Um, yep. So, uh, and I'll talk a bit more about that in the protective okay. model. Yeah. Very
0: yeah. rigorous uh, structures, I would yeah. say, in terms of how they, are, the, the dosage and what type of treatment they're that's giving. That's it, um, yeah. yeah. some and one job I probably do not want to do. That's it, <laughs> that's, yeah. That's no, a lot of risk. It's not quite no. our qualifications. No. So don't tell your patient <laughs> that you can't have anthracycline-based yeah. treatment. That's not your role. <laughs> um, but and, yeah, no, that's very, very important stuff. Um, yeah. And... I was going to, is there anything before you, before you go on the protective, is there anything that, uh, like a a number of increased risk because of the types of treatment, like combined, as you were saying, it is increasing the risk. Is there, is there a number around that? Like twofold, threefold or not, not known at the moment?
1: Not at the top of my head, but like when, uh, the compounding risk is, is really what you're, you're looking at. And that's, that's the nature of, of, uh, cardiovascular disease. It's multifaceted typically so like it's not usually just because you have hypertension it's usually Mm. because you have a combination of those different cardiometabolic or lifestyle or biological factors that Mm. are predisposing predisposing this and um it 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 is a combination yeah Yeah, exactly
0: yeah Yeah, we never really just treat the one thing do we always the combination of all okay let's go into the protective was it no, what was it? I'm still on the, oh, you're still I'm still on on it. the model. I am jumping I'm ahead. sorry. <laughs> All right, keep going. Keep pushing <laughs> so through. So
1: we're still in the active treatment phase. Active treatment. And then we've got Good. one more <laughs> lot done and then we'll get to the protective. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm getting excited. <laughs> so the other um, uh, uh, risk that we identify in the active treatment phase is lifestyle toxicity. And so this is the impact of treatment on people's capacity to be able to maintain a a good lifestyle. And one of the biggest things, especially for breast cancer patients with a lot of the treatments is that they start to gain a lot of weight um, and obesity is a big risk factor for -hmm. for cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also a risk factor for the increased likelihood of the manifestation of cardiac toxicity as well. Um, Similarly, we also see some of the lowest rates of physical activity in women who are going through and after um, cancer treatment um, so that's another thing that increases the risk. We see an increased presence of um, stress, so financial, uh, stress related to fear of recurrence, stress related to um, this new lifestyle that they're having to to adjust to. Um, lots of different things uh, create new stresses for for the individual and yep. that, and stress is well, are well established. To Very be, well documented yeah, to yeah. Be
0: having an impact on all conditions, uh particularly in this case, hey. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And then we also see from a dietary point of view, um, as well. So uh with with a bit of a change. sometimes like during chemo, people can't eat as well yep. as well that can be a mm. contributing factor um and ta- changes in taste uh that also contributes to to diet yep. um so that can have an impact to an extent but there's some yeah. other yeah
0: multifactorial and, it, mm. and it's that downward spiral and from it all isn't it really it. if you look yeah. at it from all uh, uh, all angles the biopsychosocial model comes yeah. into that as you just touched on there yeah um yeah it yeah. can all add into the yeah. uh, the risk isn't it
1: and then mm. more broadly as well, we have the direct injury of, of treatment um, and specific to, uh, from a cardiac point of view. So with the pres, like, so with a lot of um, breast cancer-based treatments, we can see an increase in the presence of epicardial fat, okay. which yep. we know uh, is another big risk factor because having that fat lies really close to the heart mm. means there's an increase... Likelihood of secretion of some of those inflammatory markers, yeah. Indeed. Um, We see aortic stiffness. We see um, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease as well. Um, So, which in
0: itself has some really interesting research coming out as well um, about exercise with NAFLD. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So these are the more kind of pathological things that you're less likely to see. Like you can easily assess if someone's diet or lifestyle or stress has, has changed you can't as easily see if they're having an increased mm. accumulation of epicardial <laughs> fat or um, non-alcoholic fatty no. liver disease. That's something that's probably monitored le- like yeah. less by us. Yes, But these are things that we just need to be really quite aware of. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah.
0: you hit it, you hit a rail, nail on the head there because, if, you, uh, like I said before in that intake and that assessment, if you're not asking... The type of treatment they're getting. Uh, this is the same thing. If you're not aware of these situations, and that's why, that's why we do this, guys. We want to make sure that you, you guys, are aware of all factors and consider considering this, so that mm-hmm. you can be giving the best care and treatment possible. And I really think it's about getting ahead of the game, being proactive, um, and by checking this, you can manage your client really, really well um, during treatment, post treatment, in that survival, whatever stage. But By having all this knowledge and information, you can apply it really well and be ahead of the game and make sure they have the best outcome in their life, hey?
1: That's it, absolutely, absolutely. Now I'm going to move or what on. what are we on now? We're excited. <laughs> We're going to um, <laughs> post-treatment yes. or survivorship. Okay. Um, and this one is a bit more specific to uh, breast cancer, but may also be for our gynecological um, cancers as well, depending on their type of treatment. And that is actually menopause. So mm-hmm. menopause uh, being a time where we obviously have a significant reduction in the presence of estrogen. And we know that estrogen is a protective Factor yep. for Huge the heart. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's also a protective factor against weight gain mm-hmm. um, and a lot of other hormonal-based things that will increase our risk of, of cardiovascular. Disease. It's probably a whole
0: nother podcast. That's a isn't whole it really? podcast. Yeah, <laughs> but the yeah, yeah. main basis. Yeah, That's
1: it. Um, and it's and coming back to what I said before about uh, younger women and and the risks associated with with menopause because they're going through this change in uh, in Estrogen and um, menopause earlier on in in life, they're having an increased risk earlier on as well for this. Uh, compounding uh, effects later, later on in life. Yeah. yeah. So, right. um, they're much more likely as they age to experience cardiovascular disease earlier than mm. someone who, for example, gets cancer a little bit later in life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, menopause, eh? Menopause. <laughs> it does have a lot of,
0: uh, issues around it. Yeah. Um, mm. and yeah, you've highlighted one, but there's many. Yeah.
1: That's it. Um, Fortunately, exercise can help a bit with yeah. menopause, which is we're fortunate to yep. have that aspect on our side. Indeed. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing um, from a survivorship phase is the ongoing effects of treatment mm-hmm. um, in terms of particularly, as I said before, about deconditioning and weight gain. Yep. So two-thirds of cancer survivors are not meeting the physical activity guidelines.
0: Is it still two thirds? Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought we got better. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Need more exercise Yeah, um, And then only 10% of people about six years after cancer return to their pre-diagnosis body weight.
0: Wow. 10%. Yeah, it's
1: really quite low. Yeah. That is very low. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So it's you're starting to see a really kind of, snowballing effect yeah. across all stages of, of treatment and what's also really unfortunate is sometimes the like not exercising during treatment and then waiting till after treatment isn't enough to mitigate those risks that manifest during during treatment so right. whilst we can do a lot from a activity yeah. and lifestyle modification point of view it's just the evidence is there to say, starting exercise early is most effective. Mm. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Um, but b- pretty much sums up the, the whole thing of, on a broad sense, exercise really is your, your medicine, isn't it? Really, yeah. For a lot of things. And even it shows in that case, Absolutely. again, like the later that you start. Yeah. Um, and often people only start when there is an issue. Um, and I'm talking broadly here, not just for any oncology or cardio-oncology specific cases, but um, yeah, you can see, Uh, the earlier that they start and the more regular they are, then, um, yeah, the, the, the little bit of help that it can provide later down with um, with these ongoing that, issues, yeah.
1: That's it. And that's what they've really highlighted. Now I'll we'll get to the protective Yes, Yes, yeah. my favourite part. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> <laughs> that's what they've really highlighted because they look at it as a bit of like a, a balance, um, like a, a set of scales essentially with the risk okay. protective, compounding risk protective model. So you've got all your risks on the left-hand side of the scales and then our protective factors on the right-hand side. And so, looking at those kind of specifically to each phase as well, like your pre diagnosis uh, phase, our protective factors are all of our lifestyle mm. and um, what we know. Yep. Yeah, modifiable factors. Mm. Physical activity, number one. Mm. Diet, stress management, mm. weight management. Um, those are all really, really key things that they is, is shown to really, really, really reduce this risk. Mm. Um, they During treatment, same again. Yep. During survivorship, same again. And yep. then there's a few other elements about um uh modifying the type of treatment, uh, modifying the delivery of treatment to reduce that risk and mm. that's something that the oncologists are dealing with within the cardio-oncology space. Mm-hmm. But then something that we are really dealing with is is that lifestyle.
0: Yeah. And of it. it just yeah. some it just perfectly puts together our, our role of exercise physiologist. Uh, with oncology, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and that's the big message that we're, we're getting out. And, uh, we've already spoken about Prue Cormie and her course that she's done and putting exercise, uh, on the map or basically embedded into all kind of cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. Hey. Uh, and you can just see it right there. That model it exactly explains it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the modifiable risk factors that we all can have a part on. Um, yeah, it shows our value, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Perfect. Have we done? We're done, sorry. Great. No, I don't want to miss guys. one. <laughs> um, okay, so that was probably a lot to take in. Uh, definitely, this is out of my comfort zone. I'll put my hand up and I've just learned a heap and I'm going to be doing, going in and tucking into some resources um, and I'll put them on the footnotes in the podcast as well. But just a little bit of a summary, Caitlin, let's mm. talk about those models again, yep. uh, just so our listeners can jot down on your on your pad if you're listening or... Whatever need to do, so yeah. let's go Make through a that voice again. Note, yeah. Make a voice <laughs> note. Yes.
1: <laughs> so uh, referencing back to your two main models, that yep. you can quite easily just use as a bit of a framework in in your mind as well. Um, and so the first of those being that multiple hit hypothesis, looking at mm-hmm. the pre-existing risk factors, direct injury, and indirect injury, more specifically to the treatment. Um, And then we have our compounding risk and protective model. Um, So, and that works through the different phases, pre-treatment, active treatment, survivorship, and same with the protective factors there.
0: Wow. That is fascinating stuff. I never probably put uh, personally on this, like I was saying, out of my depth a little bit, but never probably put that same uh, level of understanding about someone who has had cancer but. Perfect scenario. Fifteen years ago, you don't really think anything of it, do That's you? It, but yeah. you've just highlighted such importance that we need to yeah. to upskill and, and be aware of um, yeah. uh, to help manage our clients yeah. have the best outcome. And
1: I think like it's not intensely hard for someone who's maybe fifteen or twenty years to make these lifestyle changes. Like more often than not, you'll be making these life cha- lifestyle changes regardless. That's it right. is now yeah. just being informed by the fact that okay, well, this definitely. It has, has to happen. Yeah, and, and these are the
0: risks to why. Fundamentally, yeah. mm.
1: this is, this is why, or this is maybe why they're not getting outcomes in the way you maybe thought they were going to, or maybe yep. it means mm. that you need to. And so for our oncology specific practitioners, like this means like maybe you need to be a little bit more of aware of when to send patients back for for screening yep. because cardiac toxicity, yep. um, that more specific one is something that manifests quite silently and, mm quite often will be asymptomatic. So um, it is being more routinely uh, monitored and regularly managed, but um, sometimes you might be the first one to kind of recognise the different symptoms and it's looking for the symptoms of heart failure yep. um, is is really key. So, uh, and then referring back uh, for further investigation. And it, so it's just really having your, your um, eyes open and, mm. Your ears open and ready to kind of just take note of, of different things that a pa- patients are telling you. Yeah. yeah,
0: and I really think that unlocks from being a good practitioner to a great practitioner yeah. hey? for anyone that's who's who's gone through uh, cancer treatment or yeah, in that survivorship phase that's as well. It. Yeah. Well, a, hun- a ton to unpack there, uh, but we will wrap up there. We will chat again. Um, uh, going on to want to talk about um, specifics for in practice too so what does that look like from your perspective Caitlin from clients that you've seen um, any tips and tricks so that will be on our next podcast to go through as well but yes we'll put those uh, uh, models in the footnotes and we hope to hear uh, we hope you enjoy this podcast and we will chat again soon thanks Caitlin
1: thanks so much Dan thanks for letting me blabber on thanks for listening to the BodyTrack Academy podcast if you enjoyed this episode and found something useful, you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, and tell your friends to check it out. If you're not already in the BodyTrack Academy on Facebook, look us up. Join our community of exercise physiologists and access more great content.